Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. Today on the podcast, we're talking the Barkley Marathons, setting world records, life as a CTO, and work-life balance with John Kelly. You guys know that I am a huge fan of minimum effective dose exercise. This means I use devices like the FlexBeam, Strong, and Carol to get all of my workouts done in just a very little amount of time. And let's talk about that last one real quick. Two 20-second sprints, all out. Total workout time, eight minutes and 40 seconds. Benefits include glycogen depletion, and even a boost in VO2 max for certain people. I enjoy the Carol so much that I recommend it to just about all my clients because they don't have any time either. And so if you have eight minutes and 40 seconds to spare, you have time for a very intense workout and you can get yours over at carolfitai.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-F-I-T-A-I.com. Use the code decoding150 and you're going to get $150 off your purchase. And guess what? It's an amazing device. I use it pretty much every day, even for zone two training. Let's give another shout out to a listener, shall we? This subject is great info. I enjoyed listening to Dan discuss epigenetics and exploration into how it can be utilized for better health. That episode's going way, way back. But thank you so much for the five-star review. And I really appreciate you guys digging back into that episode catalog, if you will, and really listening to the beginning. Shows come a long way, but I remember those episodes very, very fondly. Let's move on with the conversation. John Kelly is the 15th person ever to finish the Barkley Marathons. When you have time, head on over to Netflix and watch the documentary, and you'll understand just how amazing that is. He's also finished the spine. He has a family with multiple kids, and he's a CTO by day. Just how does he do it? Well, that's the subject of today's podcast. We get into work-life balance, training, and how John jams all of this into his day in Bristol. You can check out the show notes to this one at decodingsuperhuman.com slash John Kelly, but let's get on to this absolutely thrilling conversation with the 15th person ever to finish the Barkley Marathons, John Kelly. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So I want to start things off because you set, set a world record, a Guinness World Book of Records, for running the fastest marathon in a costume. What was the costume and what made you decide to try to do this? Uh, so it was fastest dressed as a video game character, ah. which is, is oddly specific. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look at the Guinness website, there's... Uh, there are actually quite a few uh, oddly specific uh, marathon records. They kind of make an event out of it at a few, I, I think, uh, the London Marathon, Berlin, and, and Toronto. They actually go out there, and there are people sitting all sorts of them. Um, and so this is something that I had the Boston Marathon, which had been a, a long time goal of mine. It's actually the reason I got back into running uh, mm-hmm. after grad school. Uh, but it happened that when I was able to get into it and, and run it was two weeks after the Barkley marathons. And mm-hmm. so I thought to myself, well, I'm, I'm clearly not going to get a personal best time or anything here. What can I do? That's, that's still going to be fun. Uh, still going to give me a bit of a challenge. And, and so I got to looking and, uh, found all of these records out there and, uh, the video game one uh, really uh, appealed uh, to the nerd in me, and, mm-hmm. and specifically uh, the, the Legend of Zelda is the one that I always loved uh, growing up. So 
uh, dressed up uh, in a tunic like Link, uh, which most people thought was Legolas or an elf or, or something else, and went out there and ran the Boston Marathon. Excellent. And before we get into Barkley marathons and your marathon career, uh, I was reading a bit about your background and you have an interesting, uh, well, I wouldn't say it's interesting because it links a little bit to my grandparents in some ways, but you mentioned your grandparents had significant influence on you and kind of who you became as a person. Do you mind going into that a little bit? Yeah, so I I think I do have a a fairly uh, unique background, and uh, the the two sides of my family uh, are are very different. Uh, so uh, it's it's best it's kind of epitomized looking at my grandfather's with with one of them uh, had a a, a PhD uh, in nuclear physics uh, from MIT. He studied under a Nobel laureate. Uh, moved to Tennessee to work at one of the national labs there. Uh, and the uh, other one graduated from eighth grade and, and worked in the, the coal mines and a prison guard and, and everything else that was needed to uh, make ends meet and so support his family uh, out there in kind of the, the true rural Appalachian uh, type setting. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm equally proud of, of both of those sides. I've, I've learned a lot uh, from both growing up, um, both in, in terms of my, my intellectual curiosity and, and hard work, and I, I think also uh, always kind of trying to, to keep an open mind and, and being able to see things from multiple, multiple perspectives. I, I was surrounded uh, by these very differing perspectives uh the in, the entire time that i was growing up and and was uh always searching for the the merit in in both of them and typically there there always was uh something to take away from from both sides mm-hmm. and i love the fact that you said appalachian because you and i were discussing beforehand my parents live there now and it's just it's refreshing to hear somebody pronounce it the the local way um would love how did you come into data science then that uh, you know I, I kind of just ended up that way on my uh, path through school uh, that I, I don't know that data science was officially a term yet <laughs> uh, it's really sexy I, now yeah yeah definitely I, I guess I just lucked into it uh, so I, I majored in electrical and computer engineering. Uh, and my, my research, uh, for my master's and, and for my PhD, uh, really leveraged a, a lot of machine learning. So it was doing a lot of, uh, predictive modeling, uh, specifically in, in healthcare. So being able to, uh, predict which, uh, rehabilitation techniques would be best for a, a particular, uh, patient or, uh, decoding neural signals to control prosthetics with with a brain computer interface and and so it's it was really those particular applications um that drew me uh into machine learning and at the time machine learning was just a tool Mm -hmm. uh for uh what i wanted to get done and and what was really closely related uh to my my work in uh computer engineering and, and software uh, and then from there, uh, I kind of, that became the platform. And, and rather than uh, the application determining which tool uh, I needed to use, the tool opened me up to this whole huge range of, of other applications. And I guess that's where I really became a, a data scientist and, and started applying that to, you know, healthcare and defense and finance and cyber risk and insurance and, and everything else. Mm. You mentioned, and when we were speaking earlier, that getting back in, you know, you had this break from running, and then you got back into it. I believe through the Marine Corps Marathon. What made you decide, hey, I want to come back to running? Uh, what what was the motivation there? So it was as I was finishing up uh, my PhD, and. Mm-hmm. 
I had always wanted to see what I could do at longer distances. You know, I, I ran track and cross country in high school and mm -hmm. I always did better uh, the longer the distances were. Uh, mm -hmm. But I felt like they kind of never were long enough for me to really maximize my, my potential. And so I, I wanted to see what I could do in a marathon. And as I was finishing grad school, it was just kind of one of those moments in life where you're thinking about where you are. And I thought, you know, if, if I'm going to see what I can do, I, I need to do it now. You, you know, I'm not going to be young forever. And, and so I, um, I, I, that spring, as I was finishing, I, I signed up for the Marine Corps marathon in the fall and, uh, went from there. Hmm. And was it, you hear about these people getting kind of almost addicted to these types of races. Was it for you more like, Hey, I really enjoy this. I'm going to keep doing it. Was it that addiction type feeling or was there another reason why you decided to continue on and on? It was, it was really a, a snowball effect. Um, mm -hmm. and that, you know, I, I did the Marine Corps marathon. Mm -hmm. I, it didn't go all that well for me. I, I pretty much, uh, just hobbled the last eight miles. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and after the race, I kind of looked at it and I said, you know, I didn't prepare for this properly. I, I didn't train the way I needed to. If my goal here is to find out what I'm capable of, uh, I, I completely failed at, at that goal. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I need to try this again. I need to, to train better and, and really see what I can do here. And, um, I did that a couple more times and then, uh, eventually kind of figured out that, well, Hey, I'm, I'm not all that bad at this. Let's, let's see what my limits really are. Uh, and I'm, I still haven't quite satisfied that in, <laughs> in terms of, of seeing what I can do. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you say like, Hey, I want to do the Barkley marathons. I want to do the spine race. What, what point did you say these are targets of mine? So the Barkley is, is something that had interested me for a while, uh, mm -hmm. going back to before I started running again. Um, and you know, when I first really learned about it uh in any amount of detail i said wow that's that's kind of cool uh and it's it's also right across the street from where i grew up that's that's awesome <laughs> mm -hmm. um but you know that that'll never happen i'll, I'll never do something like that and uh, again it was just kind of this progressive as i um got back into running and as i started doing better and better it just kind of grew as this little idea in my mind of it well you know, maybe I could do this. Maybe I should give it a shot and, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I, I was able to, to get in and uh, that's, again, things kind of snowballed from there. And I, I discovered the uh, really unique aspects of those types of challenges where you're out there at your, not only your physical, but your mental limit for hours and in sometimes days on end. And, and that's where I think, uh, I'm, I'm really able to, to grow, uh, both as an athlete and a person and learn stuff about myself that otherwise I'd, I would never be in a, a situation, uh, to learn. Uh, so, you know, again, I continued from there, the Barkley, the spine, uh, Tour de Giant, uh, other races like that. It's, um, you know, that, that aspect of the challenge. And then on top of it, I get to explore a, a lot of really cool, uh, places, uh, in mm -hmm. a short amount of time, which, you know, time is, is something I don't have a lot of. And, and wow, you're opening yourself up to a lot of questions there. Uh, the snowball effect in building into the Barkley, what did that look like in terms of both, uh, training, but also, you know, sequence, if you will, because were you working with a coach at all, or were you kind of figuring this all out yourself? I was definitely figuring it all out myself. Wow! Uh, and and that first year in Berkeley, I I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got into the race, it, this this was uh, before the big original Netflix documentary, so it mm -hmm. wasn't uh, as popular and well-known as it is now. Um, mm. but when I got in, I, I was still a bit surprised. Uh, and I kind of just said, well, 
what do I do now? I, I need to find a hill. Where's a hill? I'm going to go run up that hill. And like every hill I could find, I looked on Google Maps for all of the steepest gradients near where I lived and just went and ran up and down hills uh, every chance I could. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't the best in terms of uh, time efficiency. It wasn't the best in terms of training. Um, but, it, you know, it was a, it was a step in, in that direction. And, and a lot of that, a lot of my progression has been uh, increasing my, my own efficiency uh, in, in training as I've gone through this. Mm-hmm. For those who are listening to this and are wondering what the Barkley Marathons are, aside from the Netflix documentary, which we'll of course link to in the show notes, how would you describe it for people? Uh, so it is, well, the, the literal description is you have 60 hours. Uh, it is tagged as a 100 mile race, but everyone will say it's closer to 130. Um, there's a total of about 70,000 feet of climbing. It's all off trail. Well, mostly off trail. It's all unmarked. Um, you're dealing with with briars and weather that can swing from uh, freezing to you know over 27 Celsius, 80 Fahrenheit uh, within a 12 hour uh, time frame, uh, and it's you, you don't even know the full course uh, until the evening before the race. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's a huge mental and, and physical challenge. Only 15 people have finished in um, coming up on 30 years now, mm-hmm. uh, um, I guess a little over 30 years. Uh, and it's, it, it really pushes you to, to your absolute edge and the, I think the biggest thing about it is there are so many things uh, that can potentially go wrong, so many variables uh, that it's impossible uh, to fully plan it out beforehand. It's impossible uh, to perfect yourself in every single area, and and the race is is going to find your weakness, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's going to try to beat you there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that is sort of the literal description. How would you describe it if you were just kind of shooting the shit with friends, so to speak? Yeah, I, I got into to that a little bit there at the, the end of that description. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I would just sum it up as a, a challenge that uh, is, is going to be uh, mentally and, and physically at your edge. And, and really, uh, it, it's one where you're probably going to fail. Mm-hmm. And one of those, you know, kind of like the really old school video games where, where you can't ever beat it. The goal mm-hmm. is just to see how many points you can get, how, how far can you get mm-hmm. uh, before the, the aliens take over the earth or whatever and, and you, you lose the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, for most people, that's the objective. And, and that's why it's there to give people an opportunity to really see where their limit is. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, if it's something that, you know you're going to finish. Um, you know when you finish it, you you don't really know. Could I have gone farther? Could I have done better? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the race director Laz has really said the the people that uh, lose at Barkley are the people that finish because they're the ones that don't get to discover uh, where their limit is and and what their kind of outer edge of of possibility is. So you are the fifteenth person to finish the Barkley marathons, correct? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Congratulations. But that <laughs> wasn't the, the first time you tried doing it. Uh, no, okay. no, it was, it was the third. So uh, I want to explore some of those failures and kind of mental learnings, if you don't mind. Um, sure. What, because something like this, which you can't plan for and so few people finish, you obviously know going into it that there's a hell of a lot of adversity. What is that? What did that adversity show up as to you? So it, it was a different experience for me uh, every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the first year, uh, you know, I was I was very much 
the the new person who had no idea what I was doing, uh, scared out of my mind, uh, stressed to the point that I my legs were cramping going up the very first climb, uh, just just from nerves. Uh, and you know, my my inexperience came through um, that first time, uh, largely in in kind of uh, I guess the kind of standard issues you, you face in doing a distance that long. I, I didn't eat properly. Uh, I, I wasn't taking care of, of my feet and, and some of the other issues that you get from being out there longer. Uh, the second year, uh, so that first year I made it three loops uh, out of five. The second year I made it uh, four loops out of five and I started my fifth. Um, I, I, I got um, caught in some briars early in the race Mm -hmm. uh, and separated from the lead group. And and so uh, that year, more than any, probably even more so than the year I finished, was uh, such a a personal journey uh, that I was out there by myself the entire time, uh, constantly having to overcome uh, all of these uh, men- mental obstacles uh, by myself in, in terms of motivation, in terms of navigation. Um, and so that was a, a huge learning experience for me. Uh, and in the end, uh, some of those got to me. I made some navigation mistakes and uh, ended up just essentially not having time to sleep um, and getting too far behind on the clock to really uh, be able to to keep up with with the cutoff, mm-hmm. uh, and and so you know I, I failed uh, due to those issues. Uh, but again, that one, uh, as far as life lessons and and things I learned coming away from the race, that that was probably the the biggest year for me. Mm-hmm. And how do these things translate, uh, these lessons, if you will, translate into your, I guess, because your work in personal life, because you're out there. And I think there's a, a subset of people listening to this who have actually done a marathon or a triathlon, let's say, but there's many people listening to this who haven't experienced any of that. What are some of the lessons that you take away and maybe bring it to your personal life with your family? Yeah, so you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, doing these sorts of things really pushes me uh, to a place uh, where all of my strengths and my weaknesses are are magnified. Um, Mm -hmm. Things that would go completely unnoticeable uh, in normal everyday situations, they they become massive, Uh, and it's the situation that that puts you at those limits, but it really, when you think about it, it's a low consequence situation. You know, it's not life or death. It's not my family's well-being. It's, well, I, okay, I'm going to finish or not finish this race. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's really this, this perfect situation where you're able to test these things uh, without a huge amount of consequence. Uh, and, and some of the things that I've learned just directly uh, apply to work, apply to family. Uh, in, in particular, probably the biggest one is uh, in ultras, I, I've learned uh, I, I kind of tend to let problems grow to, to an emergency uh, mm-hmm. before I really take uh, big corrective action. You know, I've been out there and, and let my hunger get to a bad spot. I've been out there and let my, my temperature, I've let myself get too cold. Uh, even as I felt myself get cold, I would think, no, no, I, I can just make it to the next aid station. I can make it back to camp. And, and then before I know it, I'm, I'm out there freezing and starving. And uh, it, it, it takes hours to, to recover from that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, um, so a lot of these, these types of things, I, I just otherwise wouldn't notice uh, and, unless putting myself uh, at those, those limits. Um, Another one is is being able to push through a lot of these immense obstacles uh, that I face out there, and and I'm really able to to focus and drive for that uh, singular goal to fixate on that. But I also kind of have a a threshold um, that I found where I just I, I flip where it's fixated 
I'm going to get there absolutely no matter what. And then all of a sudden I, I get over that threshold and it, it just all changes to panic. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not going to get there. I, I can't finish. Why am I even doing this? Let's quit. It's, it's all over. And, and kind of recognizing uh, that I, I have a tendency to do that um, and knowing how to prevent myself from getting to that point and, and kind of knowing how to pull myself back over uh, the edge mm-hmm. if I do get there uh, again is it's valuable in the races uh, but but even more so in life how do you uh, I mean the cause of getting to that threshold for you and let's take the races just just an example is that just because of pace or is it because of a number of different factors um, when you're going through a race like what causes you to get to that point where it's c- complete panic uh, yeah so for the the ultras, uh, the the things I do, uh, again, there there's so many variables. It's it's normally a combination of those. Uh, so whether I'm I'm chasing a cutoff at Barkley or whether I'm I'm chasing a time goal or a place uh, at another race, uh, it's it's not only pace, but it's it's knowing. Uh, what do I need to do uh, to take care of myself? Maybe I, I can maintain the pace but I, I haven't slept enough and I know that I'm going to have to stop and sleep or I haven't been eating enough. So I know that if I can't fix the problem, I'm, I'm going to crash an hour from now, or maybe there's something starting to develop on my feet, uh, Mm -hmm. that I know is, is going to slow me down. Uh, so it's, it's not only looking at, at what is my current pace, what is in the moment, uh, but kind of projecting some of these small things forward and, and seeing, uh, what kind of shape I think I'm going to be in in an hour or in 10 hours. And uh, sometimes that, that can be helpful because I can kind of take corrective action. Uh, but sometimes it, it's also kind of needless, uh, useless panicking, I, I would say, where I'm looking at things that I have absolutely no control over. Uh, and it's, it's simply a, a waste of, of time and, and energy uh, to, to focus on those when, when there are other aspects of my race, uh, that I do have some control over that I, I might be able to spend that energy on instead. Mm -hmm. And speaking of sleep, you have an area of the Barkley marathon, the marathons that is named after you, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was that, that second year, Mm -hmm. um, where, Again, I, I got really be, be, um, behind on time and wasn't able to get enough sleep. And, and so the rule at the race is you have 12 hours per loop. And so you have to start your next loop um, before the end of, of that 12 hours. And so I, I came in from my fourth loop with, I think, like 13 minutes to spare. Mm-hmm. Uh so I had to start my fifth loop uh, within that 13 minutes. And, and so my crew got my gear switched out and, and got me back on my feet. And I, I made it to the gate uh, to start my fifth loop with just a few minutes to spare. Uh, and, and so I started the loop and, and went about a hundred meters uh, up the uh, away from the start there and just kind of took a few steps to the side of the, the trail and, and took a nap. Because mm-hmm. I technically I started my loop, uh, so I, I was allowed to sleep, um, and and so yeah, they they've designated that Upper Kelly Camp. <laughs> uh, what's the most difficult race you've ever done? Is it the Barclay or is it something else? Yeah, it, it, in terms of of difficulty of uh, meeting the goal, uh, d- definitely Barclay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, you know, a lot of people have asked me that this year in particular, after I did the spine of, mm-hmm. of comparing the two, uh, and the, the best way I've, I've had of comparing them is that, uh, Barkley pushes you closer to the edge. It kind of holds you closer to the fire. Uh, but spine holds you there for longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the race is a bit longer. Um, the conditions are a bit, um, more uniformly bad uh, throughout the race, whereas the the big aspect of Barkley is uh, how how much the conditions fluctuate and and how unpredictable they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so Barkley, really the entire time, it's it's a razor's edge uh, as as far as whether you're going to be able to finish or not. And any little slip up, any mistake, uh, can put you on the wrong side of that edge. Mm-hmm. Um. What do you think people do wrong when they're attempting these feats? Because you've out, you're the last person to finish the Barkley. What do you think? Where do you think people go wrong with this? Interestingly, I think it's the two biggest are, are probably complete opposites. Uh, where you have some people that that look at it and and kind of take it for granted and think, oh yeah, well. I'm going to go do that and, you know, I'll, I'll go run up and down some hills and, and I'll finish, you know, I've, I've done tough mutters and I've done <laughs> Iron Man's and, and whatever else. And, and this is just, you know, a, a harder version of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they, they don't, uh, and, and even a lot of experienced ultra runners, that's, that's another aspect of the race. They think, Oh, it's Tennessee. How bad can the hills be? I I'm from Colorado. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, it's, it's kind of a lack of, um, good preparation and, and taking things for granted, uh, and just, uh, assuming things aren't, aren't going to be as bad as they are. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of that, uh, I think are, are the people that, uh, rather than selling the challenge short, um, they sell themselves short. Mm-hmm. And and they don't realize what they can do uh, if uh, they really put the the time and and dedication into doing it. So again, this this is something I, I failed at uh, twice uh, be, before finishing, uh, and you know it, it was three years of of really relentless work of focusing on that as my one singular goal. And if you had asked me, uh, you know, just four years before I finished, if I, I was going to finish Barkley, like I would have thought that was the most ludicrous idea ever. Like no chance, absolutely no way. Like, look at me. I was a mediocre runner in high school. Like this is something that only 1% of the best ultra runners out there finish. Like, uh, no, there, there's, there's no way. Um, and, and so I, I think people really don't um, don't realize what their limits are. We're, we're all capable of, of more than we think uh, if we put the time and dedication into it and, and are happy with that uh, slow but constant progression uh, rather than, uh, again, just saying, um, you know, I'm going to do Barkley and go run up and down some hills and spend a few months focusing on it, if even that, and, and finish. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I asked you on email was about injuries because I've only done a marathon, right? And I got pretty significantly hurt. Granted, it was my own fault. I tried to do exactly what you just advised not to do, which is <laughs> um, do it too fast and just say like, hey, it's only 26.2 miles, right? Um, what is the main cause of injuries and because you look at sort of the ultra world and people from outside of it say like, Hey, there's a lot of injury potential here. I don't want to do it. What do you say to those people and how do you keep yourself as injury free as possible? Uh, so it's, it's again, just kind of gradually pushing mm-hmm. your limits, um, pushing the edge outwards rather than, uh, jumping over the edge entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with any of these things, it, it very much requires a, a gradual buildup in, in terms of uh, training volume and, and training intensity mm-hmm. uh, and really listening to your body. Uh, you know, when, when a small thing start, when a small thing starts to go wrong, um, whether in training or a race kind of, trying to think about well why why is this happening what could be the issue here uh and trying to take corrective action early rather than letting it progress uh to something that is uh going to just blow up um 
and, and, you know, all around taking care of, of your body and in terms of, uh, eating enough and, uh, fueling properly and, and sleeping enough, which, uh, that's, that's probably my biggest weakness. Um, so sleeping in terms of just during your training or during your, um, preparation, is that right? Yeah. Just, uh, during, during life in general, (laughs) um, so it's with with work and with family and and everything else um i'm i'm not able to to train with the volume uh that i otherwise would want to mm-hmm. and i'm i'm not able to uh sleep the the amount that i would otherwise want to mm-hmm. and and so it, it's all kind of to me in a, a giant optimization problem of mm-hmm. of trying to to balance all of these things and uh doing the the best that i can um without letting any single one of them kind of become the overwhelming dominant force that just uh it crushes the the rest of the things going on in my life mm-hmm. john you mentioned the o word so i got really excited when you said optimization problem and so at this point it's kind of a choose your own path so do we want to go down sleep or training first which do you which do you prefer i'm i'm good with with either of those okay so we'll just let, uh let's talk a little bit about your training because if you've looked at this as an optimization problem and you know, people are probably wondering how the hell do you prepare for a hundred mile race? What does your weekly training volume look like, or maybe even daily considering you're also a CTO. So you're a pretty busy guy and your father. Um, what does training look like for you? All right. So about a year ago, I decided to run the longest single distance I've ever run in my entire life. It doesn't measure up to what John's done, but for me, it was quite an accomplishment. That was the Brussels Marathon. And nutrition wasn't a priority for me. I decided to fuel the entire race on ketone esters, and that was just because there wasn't a good low-carb alternative out there. The guys at Resilient Nutrition have now solved that for me. Their first product, Long Range Fuel, comes with not only what they describe as beyond nut butter, energy-dense food, but also nutrients to support you in your endurance endeavors. I use it both when I'm running here in the sticks, so to speak, in the Netherlands, but also as I'm going through my cognitive athlete days where I spend way too much time in Microsoft Excel. If you want to try this out, head on over to resilientnutrition.com. You can plug in the code BOOMER, and that will solve all of your endurance nutrition woes. Let's get back to this conversation with John Kelly. Um, so before lockdown, I, I would have said the, the biggest single thing for me uh, over the past really five plus years now has been run commutes or, or bike commutes when I was doing triathlon. Um, you, you know, pretty much all of my weekday miles uh, in that time span have, have been as my commute. And so it's been about taking time that I would otherwise waste uh, sitting in a bus or a car or on a train uh, and actually getting my workout in. It's, mm-hmm. it's free uh, for me in, in terms of time. Uh, now that I've been working from home for a few months, uh, that's not as much of a factor, but I obviously don't have commute time at, at all to worry about. Um, and so it's, it's really been a lot about that and, and a lot about realizing that the best training is the training that I can do. Mm-hmm. And, and I mentioned when I first did Barkley, um, and I, I wasn't the most efficient with it. And I was thinking, well, I need to go find a hill and and go run up all the hills. And, uh, you know, I I would drive to hills that were a a ways away from my house just to get a better hill. But, you know, if I have a two hour time window for training and I waste half of that driving to a hill, you know, I'm I'm much better off training for two hours, maybe doing a a run. um, That's, that's not, quite as optimal and not not on quite as optimal of terrain but but getting um more of it in 
so it's that part has really just been uh, getting as efficient as possible uh, with every single bit of, of time that I have. Mm-hmm. And so the commutes, just for people wondering, like how far is your commute when you're doing these commute runs? Um, so right now, uh, the shortest uh, route for me uh, to our office, which still exists, um, vacant at the moment, uh, <laughs> but it's there. It, it's it's about 10K. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that works well for me that I, I do it in both directions. Uh, when I worked in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, the commute was uh, closer to around 15 miles. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would do that in one direction. Uh, and then I would take the train, the, the metro, um, going the other way, which, you know, isn't quite as good because then I'm still wasting a, a good amount of time sitting on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's worked quite well. And, and I would say the, the other thing is I'm relative to what a, a lot of um, other ultra runners that, that do the sorts of things I do, um, I'm, I'm quite low on training volume I, mm-hmm. I might do um eight to ten hours a week maybe okay. 70 to 80 miles and, and you see a lot of people out there that are doing 120 to 140 miles uh and and for me that's that's a, a again um you know I, I don't have time to do that much volume and, and b i'm really in this for uh the long term and to see that steady long-term growth uh without injury uh, rather than trying to kind of rapidly shoot up and burn out or, or get myself injured. Um, and, and that's that's one reason also that I, I have. I mentioned earlier that when I started out, it was all on my own, but but now I do have a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's been a huge benefit in, in optimizing that time uh, and, and really a, a huge stress relief and just, if nothing else, not having to plan my training out myself and worry about if I'm doing enough or doing it right. It's just, there it is on the schedule. Okay. I'll go get that done. Check. Move on with my day. <laughs> it's refreshing, right? And just to outsource yeah. something like that. Uh, yep. What does your accessory work look like? Do you do much accessory work aside from the runs, the bikes, et cetera? Um, so there are some kind of, I guess, at, at home things I can do. I, I never go to the gym or anything. I, I simply don't have time mm-hmm. for that. It, it's it's another one of those things where I'm, I'm limited on the training volume I can do in the first place. And while I view that stuff as valuable, for me, I haven't yet hit the point of diminishing returns mm-hmm. where um, it would be more valuable than simply spending more time running mm-hmm. um and so that for me that sort of stuff is limited to you know it while i'm at my computer on a conference call can i do some lunges or do some foam roller or um do something else my, my coach has this um kind of 10 minute uh thing he calls mountain legs uh, mm-hmm. my, my coach is david roach I, I think you can find the workout uh on the trail runner website um, that it's, it's just some reverse lunges and, and some stair steps basically that you can do on a table or a chair or anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so those sorts of things that again, that I, I can sort of like my run commute, I can do these things without it actually costing me, uh, any time mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm doing them at the same time. I'd, I'd have to be, uh, doing something else anyway. So stacking habits, so to speak, has allowed you to be able to do these things and solve for that optimization. But you mentioned earlier about sleep. What does that look like for you? Uh, so that that can fluctuate uh, quite a bit. I, I go through stretches where I, I had one uh, just like last week, actually, um, where I'm probably averaging four to five hours a night. Mm-hmm. Um, that are just, uh, you know, kind of crunch time at, at work or I, I need to get uh, something finished or, or something working uh, that, that I'm, I'm developing on, on the software side and uh, things can, can really head south uh, in those situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I try 
to intentionally kind of clear things out well enough in advance before any of my big races to where I can have a, a couple of weeks of solid eight plus hour sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't always happen that way, but I have figured out uh, the hard way that if you have one of those bad stretches of sleep, it's not something where you can just like sleep for 12 hours one night and suddenly you're fine. Mm-hmm. Like it, it takes your body a while uh, to recover from that. And particularly these things I do that are multi-day and sleep deprivation is a big aspect of them. Uh, it, it simply doesn't work that way. So, you know, in an ideal world, I, I would be getting nine plus, um, but I, I, I can't. So I, I, I make do with, with what I can. Do you think some of the aspects of the work you've done in the startup world and having these deadlines that cause you to get four to five hours of sleep per night feed into your ability to succeed in these races? I, I think that they very much feed into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there, there have been times where I've been sitting up late at night doing something for work that, that you know, absolutely had to get done. Uh, and I've said to myself, come on, you, you finish Barkley, surely you can finish this and, and get this code working. Um, mm-hmm. And that that has, has been a huge benefit there. And, and then also, yeah, I, I think in the races, just, um, you know, I, I never recommend pe- to people that they do sleep deprivation training um, for races because generally it um, causes more harm than, than it does good. But I think just having experience in being in that mental state and knowing how my body responds, how my mind responds, uh, how I react to caffeine and for how long um, is, is something uh, that has benefited me quite heavily uh, in those races. And also my sleep strategy, if it's useful for me to take 15-minute uh, power naps versus taking longer uh, periods of sleep. That's something that I've definitely uh, learned and, and adapted as I've done uh, these these two or three day continuous races. Was the resilience and the mindset in order to finish one of these things, has that built over time or were there specific things that you did to just drill that into your mind? It's definitely built over time and it's it's one of the biggest things I try to convey to people who are getting started. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't know. It's one of those things that I don't think you can fully grasp and, until you do experience it. Um, and, and this was told to me uh, when I was first uh, starting ultra running, I, I believe, by by David Horton. Uh, and and it's that things don't always get worse. Uh, you will be out there in an ultra and it will seem like you are just absolutely done. You are, you are plummeting. You're about to crash and hit rock bottom. And there's, there's no way that you can come back. There's, there's, you're just on a steep one way trajectory down. Um, but then if, if, if you keep pushing, you'll, you'll come back from that and you might not come all the way back. Um, you know, for, for technical people, I, I like to think of the, um, your, your state in an ultra as being kind of a, a decaying sinusoid, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, there, there are all these peaks and valleys the, the, the overall trend is in a downward direction, but there's, um, still a lot of ups and downs in it. And so that is something that is incredibly and you know it's it's in startups too you know one one second you're on top of the world the next second things look like everything's crashing and burning um i work with a few of those so i know that feeling pretty well (laughs) yeah it's it's one thing to to remember that and and to consciously think that but it's an entirely different thing to have actually gone through those experiences and be able to specifically recall where you have been in a similar spot before mm-hmm. and pulled out of it. And few things are, are more powerful when you're in a horrible spot than having been in a horrible spot before and, and come back from it. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the data and 
not data science because we know that that's really trendy right now, but how do you use data within your training? Because you, the O problem, right? Optimization. I'm, I just am fascinated by the fact that you're able to do this and with very minimal training volume. What, how have you used data to just get your head around that? So looking back at, at each of my years doing Barclay, I, I definitely do have spreadsheets mm-hmm. where I, I look at, you know, the, the elevation I did per week and the mileage I did per week. And I even tried to do some fancy metrics like volume of oxygen consumed in my workouts per week because <laughs> it's kind of a balance between mileage versus elevation uh, in some of those workouts. Uh, I, I also have some rather fancy spreadsheets to try to um, predict paces, uh, particularly uh, for some of these kind of solo challenges that, that I do uh, in trying to optimize my um, pace uh, for given terrain, because really you, you don't want to keep a constant pace. You want to keep a constant effort level, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is going to make your pace very quite a bit um, when you're going through some of this this tough terrain. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know though that I've, I've looked as much at my own data um, as people might suspect in large part because I, I realized that training is, is really an, an N of one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, there's so many variables out there that it's almost impossible to get a data set large enough uh, to conclusively say um, which which variables are having the biggest effect. And and so that's that's where I really rely on, on my coach's knowledge and my coach having a much bigger data set mm-hmm. uh, to refer to than just my own. And and knowing that, it, you know, you look at someone like Usain Bolt, the, the fastest human to ever live, and, you know, surely his training was perfect. But, again, you go back to that N of one perspective and – uh, who's to say that he wouldn't have been even faster had he trained slightly differently? And there's really no way of, of knowing. Uh, and that's that's something I, I try to do and, and work uh, as well, is to not draw too many conclusions um, from the data where I, I can't uh, have confidence in those conclusions. So I, I really look at a lot of that stuff um, in terms of planning and in terms of, of curiosity, uh, but without letting it really uh, define my, my training and, and my goals uh, with any sort of hard boundaries. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I'm not sure if you've ever tried this, but I've tried to map out the data points that would go into like the perfect day for, for work, for instance. And I agree with you that there's just so many variables that it could be very daunting, but also, you know, it's not something you can directly passport on to other people because we're all individuals. Um, it's yep. pretty crazy. Uh, on the, uh, just on the data front, what metrics have you found actually useful in terms of collecting? Uh, so one thing I, I do look at um, is is my resting heart rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've, I've got the little wrist-based heart rate monitor on my watch which i don't trust enough when i'm actually running Mm -hmm. to to do much with it um i I don't trust the the precision of of the wrist-based heart rate for that sort of thing um but i do use it for uh resting heart rate before i had this watch first thing i would do when i woke up in the morning was just check my pulse Mm -hmm. before i got out of bed uh and and that can be quite valuable uh, in terms of, of looking at uh, whether I'm overtraining, uh, whether I'm overstressed uh, in, in life in general, if my resting heart rate is, is starting to uh, get elevated and, and stay elevated, then uh, I might need to back off on training or I might need to uh, give myself a, a bit more of a, a break, a bit more of a rest. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that that I try to keep an eye on is um, is weight, seeing if there's not any huge fluctuations there that might be uh, indicative of it really being dehydrated or, or being underfueled or 
uh, anything of, of that nature. So losing weight rather than gaining, right? Uh, well, it, it, it depends on, on where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but for you personally, yeah, it, yeah. Trying to, uh, really see if there's nothing unexpected, mm-hmm. uh, really, uh, I guess would be the best way of putting it. Something that my body is doing that I did not intend, uh, for it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the other big one is they're, they're, they're largely qualitative, um, and, and looking at when I'm getting tired at what points, uh, during the day, do I find myself feeling like I could take a nap or where I, need some caffeine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we all have sort of our low energy times, uh, during the day. Um, mm-hmm. but if I'm starting to, uh, see myself hit some lows at, at other points, uh, then, then that could, uh, again, be, be indicative of uh, a larger problem. Mm-hmm. Balance. You, you're doing a lot, John. How do you keep the family happy or is, is your wife just an absolute saint? Um, could be both. How, yeah, how do you make yeah. it happen? Uh, definitely both. Um, and so I would say that uh, one big aspect of that, uh, again, goes back uh, to the uh, the efficiency in my training, uh, whether it's a a run commute or whether it's timing things, uh, while the kids are down for a nap or doing a treadmill run late at night, uh, once they're asleep, uh, I would say early in the morning before they get up, but I'm, I'm just not a morning person. Um, I I would much rather stay up till 2am than get up at six. Um, so trying to fit things around that uh, rather than, than vice versa is, is huge. And, and also making them uh, aware of the plans, um, both uh, in, in terms of my training and in terms of work. When something comes up that is uh, a, a big deadline or that is going to take some, some extra effort, kind of you know, being up front of, hey, this is coming. Uh, rather than just uh, letting them get uh, broadsided by it, mm-hmm. and uh, training front—that's that's also where we're having a coach who's uh, kind of planning these things out ahead of time has been useful because I've given my wife access to my training plan, and she can even look and see, like, oh, here's what he's going to be running and and how long uh, on this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, again, just making them. Um, knowledgeable of things, uh, planning around that rather than vice versa, and and when possible, making them a, a part of the plan. Uh, when, in particular, when I was triathlon training and had long bike rides, but this still applies with long runs, uh, I might uh, bike or run to some destination, uh, and then my family would meet me there, and and we could have a a fun day uh, at whatever that place is. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like communication and integration almost were absolutely key. And for people out there that are struggling with this, is there any just maybe communication is the advice you would give them, but any sort of key takeaways you would give for people that are saying like, Hey, I want to do an Ironman, but you know, the programming's three hours a day, any sort of key takeaways you want to give? Yeah, so again, communication uh, would be the biggest, uh, and and having family be a part of that planning, uh, and then the other would be uh, flexibility. And again, going back to the the best training is the training that you can do. And mm-hmm. even if you map out a plan, you may not be able to fit it in perfectly. Um, but still, uh, you know, if, if you had a 10 mile run planned and you only have time for five miles, go out there and run five miles. Like Mm -hmm. don't just throw your hands up and say, Oh, plans ruined. Um, guess I won't do anything today. And, and so uh, again, do, do whatever, uh, you can do, uh, in, in whatever uh, plan with communication and, and then be flexible when your plans, uh, maybe don't quite work out. 
John, this has been an incredible conversation. I want to just transition now into the final four questions, uh, which we can take as rapid fire or you can elaborate as much as you want. Uh, But what's your, for somebody who has a lot going on, what's your top trick for enhancing focus? I would say uh, thinking, breaking things down into uh, short-term achievable milestones. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the carrot on a stick thing really does work. Uh, You know, when I, whether it's something at work, uh, like reaching a series A fundraise, or it's something like finishing Barclay, I'm, I'm never standing there at the starting line saying, wow, I've got to do all this. It, there's, there's no way. And, and you know, it, breaking it up to where it's, it's one achievable milestone at a time. You know, at Barclay, it's not, I have to run for 60 hours and go through all this. It, it's, I have to make it to the top of that hill. And then I get to that and I have to make it to the top of the next hill. And so uh, kind of relentless forward progress. And, and while having that overall bigger goal in the back of your head uh, also have these these smaller short-term achievable things that you can really latch onto and see yourself uh, tangibly progressing towards. What excites you most about the health world right now? I think that you know our conversation on on data earlier and, and how I use it for training. While I, I don't necessarily um, use every data point that's out there, I, I think that there's a lot of exciting uh, technology uh, that's, that's coming from it and uh, a kind of buildup of, of technology, or sorry, of, of data and, and research around this data that is really going to inform uh, the best things for us as individuals mm-hmm. and we're, we're always seeing you know for a decade well my entire life i've seen studies come out that say well this thing is great for your health and then the next week something will come out well actually it's bad for your health yeah. and you know you look into it farther and really it's the case well it's good for your health if this and this and this apply to you but it's bad for your health if this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And, and so really pulling these things together um, with your own personal phenotypic and um, genotypic information um, is going to inform our personal well-being and, and what is truly best for us uh, in, in terms of, of diet and, and exercise and, and everything else um, that that can really optimize our, our own well-being uh, rather than just having to rely on generic advice for the entire population. Because when it comes down to it, we are, we are all very much uh, individual when, when it comes to our health. Couldn't put it better myself. I'm going to interject another question in here just on a follow-on sure. on that. Uh, favorite piece of technology that you use? for either training or in your everyday life just to stay healthier, if you're willing to share it? I mean, it, I, I kind of, you know, made a, a knock on the the heart rate monitor earlier while I'm mm-hmm. exercising, but it, it would still definitely be my watch mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, is, is not only keeping track of my runs, it's uh, keeping track of my sleep. It's Is it a Garmin or something else? Yeah, so it's a, a four Garmin Forerunner 945. Okay. Um, so most of the things that, that I need to look at is uh, it, it, it keeps it all in one place. Even my my scale that I have connects to my, my Garmin profile. So being able to pull that all into one spot, uh, one dashboard where I can look at it is uh, – you know, when you're short on time, that's that's immensely helpful rather than having to check 15 different places yeah. uh, for all of these things. And I, um, I do think Garmin's done the best in terms of create trying to create that dashboard. I don't think it's perfect yet, but I'm maybe no, no, maybe you built one yourself actually. <laughs> um, favorite or sorry, a book which has 
most impacted your life and how you show up in it? Uh, so, you know, for, for recent times, uh, this is a kind of a difficult one to answer because frankly, I, I don't really have time to read books start mm -hmm. to finish, uh, at the moment, but looking back over the entirety of my life, I, I think I'd be hard pressed to say anything, uh, other than the Bible. Mm -hmm. I mean, just looking at, at where I grew up and, and how I grew up and, and whether it was, uh, the book directly itself or just indirectly, again, the, the lessons that I was taught growing up and, and how it shaped my uh, family life and my social interactions. Uh, it's uh, definitely would not have uh, gone along the, the same path without that. Um, and, and I think that that would, uh, again, be, be true for most people uh, where I'm from, mm -hmm. whether again, it's, it's something that they uh, directly have, have uh, looked at or not. And, and otherwise uh, I would have to say, um, you know, probably my own, own dissertation. Uh, not that I've ever read the entire thing, but, but again, in, in terms of actual impact on my life uh, and, and what went into it and what came out of it, that that's, that's a huge chunk. Mm-hmm. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, so my blog is is randomforestrunner.com. Uh, it's a bit of a play on words between the machine learning random forest algorithm and the fact that I go run through random forests. <laughs> um, most of my social media handles uh, are the same or a variant on that uh, for if I have to, to truncate it. Uh, but if, if people head to my blog, uh, it has links to my, my social media and any other information I have out there. Amazing. John, thank you so much for taking the time. And it's been an absolute pleasure and learning experience for me. So thank you again. Thanks very much. Enjoyed it. To all the superhumans listening there out there, have an absolutely epic day. All right. Now that conversation is amazing to me on many levels. You get to see how somebody like John just leverages his life so that he's able to accomplish his goals. The show notes for that one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash John Kelly. That's K-E-L-L-Y. And if you like the episodes, share it on the social medias. Tag Decoding Superhuman. And I'd love to hear from you. So send an email to podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com or leave a rating on Apple Podcast because that certainly helps get the word out about the show. The show notes again for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash John Kelly and have an absolutely epic day.